Welcome to Women and Manufacturing, where accomplished women interview accomplished women, with your host, Jennifer McNelly. Welcome to Women in Manufacturing Radio. I'm Jennifer McNelly, President of 180 Skills and host for today's show. Please join today's conversation on Twitter at Women and MFG and hashtag Women and MFG. I'm honored today to be joined by Vice President of Technology for JBill Engineering Solutions, April Butterfield. April, thank you so much for joining us here today. Thank you, Jennifer, for having me on the, the, the um, show. I am honored to be invited to participate in this. I'm excited for today's conversation. So before we dive into your journey into manufacturing, can you tell me a little bit more about your role as Vice President of Technology for JBill's Engineering Engineered Solutions Group? Sure. Um, in my role at Jabel, I am responsible for an engineering group that supports one of our divisions. That division is called the Engineered Solutions Group. And um, in that division, we service a number of different markets from automotive to white goods and appliances to print and retail um, in industrial type of applications and, and um, conglomerates. So in, in my role, as I mentioned, I'm responsible for the engineering group, which means that um, I have folks in my organization that are um, situated around the world. And what we do is we support our customers in developing products that they're going to bring to the market in those different um, different product families that I mentioned. So it sounds like uh, with the diversity of that portfolio, it is the technology that drives the world. Um, as a leader on the forefront of technology, can you talk a little bit about how technology is changing the world? What does that mean for you? Yeah, absolutely. The If you look around in your everyday life now and compare it to where you were and where we were uh, five years ago, ten years ago, um, you can see in the products that you use every day that technology has made a difference in the way in which you use them, the way in which you received data from them, um, and really what those, those products are as well. Um, so this rapid rate of change that, that we've been seeing, which continues to increase um, in technologies, in materials, um, which enables changes in process, impact the way that we live our lives today in, in um, the sense of the products we use and the way we use them. So that, that very rapid rate of change that we're seeing in technology um, not only impacts the products we use and the way we live our life, but then it, it rolls backwards to the way in which we make those products and the speed at which we need to incorporate technology to make those new products and enable that change to continue um, and be realized by the end customer. You know, that's... Um I forget which movie it is, but the old, you know, the technology you're holding in your phone today is more than, you know, was on Apollo when we landed on the moon. And I've walked through a lot of manufacturing facilities, and one, you mentioned some of the work you guys do on the appliance side, and in one of them I walked through, and something as simple as the next technology really edged out the competition when moving to market. And I think at that point, you know, when someone has the great idea to put lights in a dishwasher or something, we're talking about a lot more advanced technology, but just the impact 
it has on manufacturing. So can you help me, can you unpack that a little bit more? Sort of what is the, what are those technology changes? You mentioned process, you mentioned product, you mentioned speed. Um, how does that really impact manufacturing from your perspective? It has an enormous impact on, on manufacturing. So um, if you think about, uh, as I mentioned, those products that people use, but also the expectation of the products that people use today um, and the demands and our ability to satisfy those demands, um, what it means is a lot of people want a unique product. They want something that's customized to them, um, and they want it immediately. They want it very quickly. There's an expectation of that. And so when you think about what that means from a manufacturing perspective, the ability to, to customize and create very small lot sizes for consumer products in, in particular, um, in some cases perhaps lot, lot sizes of one, um, what that means to manufacturing when you roll that backwards is um, we have to be able to accommodate and be very flexible um, and yet very quick with the way that we manufacture that product, which means the processes that we use have to be smarter and more efficient, um, and the supply chain behind it as well has to be able to accommodate that. Um, so if you think about that sort of um, that sort of approach, how do you take what is uh, traditional manufacturing where you um, historically we made many of the same thing? Now we need to make um, one of that thing and then and then potentially one or very small lot sizes and then and then change it to something else. Um, so we have to use different methodologies in manufacturing to accommodate that. Um, so the advances in materials that have taken place, um, in particular with some of the materials and some of the equipment for things like additive manufacturing, um, enable that type of um, activity to take place. But also where we see intersections of what were more, uh, what are and, and have been more traditional manufacturing technologies coupled with new materials. So an example of that would be um, if you take um, uh, printed electronics coupled with um, digital printing for labels and couple that with um, a very traditional injection molding um, and IML type of approach, then you can create a, a different type of um, human-machine interface, and you can do that and modify it very rapidly. So you're combining some traditional manufacturing technologies with some new technology to create a new solution, if that makes sense. Yeah, it absolutely does. You know, some of the stories I read, and this clearly gets a lot of attention in the press, is that, you know, between between man and machine, between old process and new process, where is the balance? And what I really hear you saying is it's somewhere in the middle. And then the whole thought of the amount of customization that happens in the marketplace. I see it in the – you see it immediately in the consumer goods side. You know, th this is not a Model T Exactly. Ford yeah. generation. This is this is make for me exactly what I want and have it delivered in a time that makes me happy. Um, that has a lot of ramifications from a consumer perspective, probably from a market perspective. The fact that you bring in the supply chain, the process stuff, I get really easy. The supply chain, 
I struggle with a little bit understanding what that really means. So how 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 are you as a leader adjusting in that landscape, and how do you see industry adjusting in that landscape? Um, well, as a as a leader, for me and for my organization, what does it mean to us in this new landscape? It means that we need to be very agile in our thinking and in, in our approaches. Um, it means we have to be able to uh, test out these new technologies or these intersections of new technologies and older technologies to create something different. We have to do it quickly. Um, so we have to be agile in our thinking, agile in our approach, and test out these things and then if it's if it doesn't work we have to be able to realize that quickly so what we what we um call that is we have to be able to fail fast and then we have to be able to pivot on that and and take a different approach so from my group's perspective um that's how we incorporate that aspect of being able to take in and integrate these different technologies and find different approaches um but when we take a look for, um, you know, the, our end customers, what does it mean as well? It means um, it's very similar in that we have to be able to incorporate that technology into um, into those products or into those approaches very quickly. So agility is really key when you have such a rapid rate of change. Yeah, I I'm curious if. I don't know if this is the right way to ask. There's there's the concept of agility, and then there's the practice of agility. Mm-hmm. I bet it it requires a different organization of work too. That interdependency that happens across your team, because jobs are no longer siloed. I mean, it's real time all the time. Almost. I mean, you're a tech firm. <laughs> you're a manufacturing yeah. tech firm. It, it, yeah. it really is. It really does require um, a different a different structure and a different way of working and different processes to allow it. So you have a lot more um, parallel work streams that go on uh, that are that are shorter um, because in addition to uh, consumers wanting products that they that are customized for them quickly, the cycle overall for developing new products across many, many markets just continues to get shorter and shorter. So your development phases um, to create those new products, much less manufacture them once they're created, uh, it's, it's shorter in all, in all of those aspects. And um, yeah. that means that the way that we approach solutioning, uh, whether it be development or manufacturing, has to has to evolve as well. It has to be different than it was um, in in days gone by. Yeah, that's that's huge. And especially when you're thinking about the supply chain, and you know, we are only as strong as our weakest link in that. And that's a big monumental shift across how how integration happens. So I'm going to shift, if I can, back to the mm-hmm. early years. Um, you know, I love your background in tech. That's super cool. In fact, I actually think some of that helps influence how the next generation thinks about um, manufacturing as a career and the opportunities that are offered. So uh, back in your early years, you know, what was your favorite subject in school? Uh, hands down, it was math. Um, it was math is is um you can get to your answer so for for problem solving uh math is very appealing <laughs> it, uh, that's great and and you're right 
there is a math equation that can solve that problem. Did you have a teacher or a family member that really impacted your trajectory in life? I, I actually, my parents, both both my mother and my father, really had a, a significant impact. Uh, my father was an engineer, and uh, my mother just worked very hard for all of us. And um, both of those things uh, really modeled and influenced where I ended up today. Oh, that's awesome. Parents have a big role, and sometimes they don't. Back to the, they only know the careers, but if they inspire the child to be all that they can be. So I do know that women in general are underrepresented in the technology field in general and put tech and manufacturing together, and you're playing in a whole different league out there. So tell me a little bit about how, about how you ended up in a technology role and in the technology field. Uh, so when I when I left to go to college, I, I already knew I wanted to be in engineering and, and pursued specifically an engineering degree, and then from there um, went into the um, area of mobility and uh, both mobile phones and then the infrastructure that supports those. Um, and with that, uh, especially when you look at um, things that you're manufacturing, like mobile phones, in the millions um, each year, the, the manufacturing aspect of that is absolutely critical because if it doesn't, um, if something is not dialed in correctly, then you have the amount of waste is, is very significant and the impact to being able to provide that product um, just by the hour uh, becomes greater and greater. So the engineering and the manufacturing are so uh, tightly wound together um, in those scenarios that uh, for me that was very appealing. And um, the reality is when you look at manufacturing and the technologies uh, that we use in those, it's, uh, it's, it's cool stuff. It's, it's really exciting. Um, and so to be part of that is it's fun. Yeah, making stuff is really cool, and I think you know most people don't really understand. And you know, I've been in front of tons of groups of kids where their perception of a manufacturing career is literally, let's go back to what they learned in history on the Industrial Revolution. So it's really important to have that voice out there, especially to the next generation who, if you get past the millennials that are now first-line managers, and I think they may be called the echo generation, <laughs> the next crowd, you know, they have never known a world that was not technology connected, very different than the world I grew up in, where I can remember, you know, high school graduation, and my dad was always on the forefront of technology, and seeing my first laptop, and I think it was an IBM product, where the screen itself was one inch by four inches, like it wasn't even a real screen, it was mostly heavy bulk, and and man, now, I don't even, you know, carry your laptop anymore because you got it all on your phone. So it's cool to be on the forefront of that. And equally, I think your perspective from seeing it in the early days to the impact it has now from the work you do at a company like J-Bill. So that's pretty cool. So what actually attracted you to J-Bill from a technology perspective? Um, so from a technology perspective, what is interesting um, what attracted me to the table and what continues to be very interesting is that um, 
as uh, an EMS, um, we partner with so many different companies um, in so many varieties uh, or areas of markets and, and variety of products that what it means from my perspective and I speak for a lot of my team members, it means we always have the opportunity to be learning new things. Um, because we work in so many different areas, we have this um, breadth of exposure that is, is very exciting. So we get to work with um, roughly the top 350 brands in, in different markets around um, the world, and we have the honor really to work with those companies and those teams um, and be a partner to realize their their vision and their products. And that means that we get exposure to some very, very smart people um, that have great, great ideas, very, very visionary. Um, and it's, it's interesting and exciting to, exciting to always be learning different things and be able to, to try different approaches with different technologies and um, and really see what what works yeah that it sounds like every day you get to focus on the art of the possible not I don't want to call it the practical <laughs> well yeah it's it's a blend of both because you you get the vision of the art of the possible and you, how do you make that practical that's what's mm -hmm. so so interesting, and it's it's challenging, and um, it's just very uh, it's very dynamic. I guess would be the the word that I would use. Yeah, and I would say possible to practical to customized and individualized. Man, that is a deep from vision to action and on the shelf. Um, there's there's a lot of complexities associated with that. So, you know, I mentioned earlier that I do know that there are, um, you are a handful of women on the forefront of this next generation of what the world looks like. Um, did you have a mentor or a sponsor that really had a significant impact in your career? Absolutely. Um, I have been very fortunate in that I have had um, a number of, of really fantastic uh, managers and people who support me through my career. Um, but one of those managers in particular had a very significant impact in that um, when I worked for him, uh, he was always, always very open to uh, my ideas for doing things differently and um, encouraged and enabled me to try those different things, but then also really held me responsible for when they didn't work the way I intended or what I, the vision I was trying to um, realize. Uh, I was responsible for, for fixing that, basically. Yeah. And, and both of those things being allowed and enabled – I guess enable would be a better word to to try the different approaches and then also having to fix those if they didn't um, come to fruition the way we wanted was was um, very important for me in my development personally and in my career development. Yeah, and it sounds like in that context, um, understanding risk mitigation like the entrepreneurial approach to it, but also accountability. And sometimes I hear that women are afraid to take that risk because, you know, they just, the risk of failure is 
higher in their in our own perceptions and it's great that you had the opportunity in which to be responsible for failure because sometimes that's the harder thing um in one's career path is you got to you own it's easy to own success it's hard to own I don't want to call it failure but but not not reaching expectations one sets for themselves so having somebody that supported you in that journey I bet it had a really big impact. How how does that influence you as a leader today and the teams that you manage? Um, it's had it's had a great influence on me as a leader today, a, a very significant influence. So um, when I'm working with my team um, and teams, I try to create a very uh, supportive environment um, where everyone uh, has a voice. We listen to that. Um, and, and really it's the responsibility of the people in my teams to speak up. Um, so they're there, they have opinions and um, it's, it's a responsibility and an expectation that I have of them to actually voice those opinions instead of sitting quiet. Um, and, and then in that, we can take a look and figure out what is the best way forward um, and then uh, giving that responsibility of if that's the best way forward and that's the, your view of the best way forward, and, uh, move forward with it. Um, go take that risk, try it. Uh, what is our mitigation if that doesn't work? What are we doing? What's our plan right now? Um, so that we can try it. And as I mentioned before, fail fast if it's not going to work. Assess, really assess what what is uh, happening and understand those mitigations and take a different path if we need to. But I think it's, um, I, I do certainly have the expectation and I think it's incumbent upon um, people that are in the industry and certainly the folks that are in my group to speak up and voice their mm -hmm. opinion. Yeah, you know, I think that's, I've managed a lot of millennials in my career and I've always encouraged that everyone sitting in the room, you know, I only hire people that ultimately could someday take my job, you know, surround yourself by people smarter than you are and give them a lot of <laughs> latitude. And I think that message of you're in the room for a reason you have a voice is really important in building a team and then mitigating risk and giving them as much latitude to see things that we as leaders may often not see because of our own perspectives. You know, we all have our own set of experiences that influences how we show up on the job every single day. So, so giving and empowering that voice, I think is truly important. Yeah. Yeah, I, I absolutely do as well. And I think the, um, having the responsibility to to implement what you're saying um, and then address it if it's not uh, what you thought it was going to be is, is, um, is vital to that. So not only do you have a voice and you need to use your voice, you're also responsible for what you're saying. Yeah, heavily influenced. I'll go back to our conversation a minute ago on the influences in your life, and I think that's fantastic that you have pulled forward that safe space for risk, <laughs> be accountable. Yeah, well, yeah. You, I think your term fail fast, <laughs> learn from it and move on is really important. Yeah, that's great. So um, I want to talk a little bit about, so some of my early exposure to J-Bill was really around a group called the J-Bill Jewels, a network mm -hmm. that helps encourage diversity within the company. Can you talk to me a little bit, share your perspective on the J-Bill Jewels and 
and with our audience, sort of what has J-Bill done around, you know, the whole reason we're on the phone today. Let's tell great stories around women leaders. So talk to me a little bit about the J-Bill Jewels. Yeah, so Jable Jewels is a great program. We started it back in, in 2013. Our um, senior vice president, Beth Walters, is the one that uh, created that. Um, and the mission of the organization is really to educate, mentor, and encourage uh, networking and dialogue about diversity among our employees. Um, it, it really... The Jable Jewels program overall really gives um, the women at Jable an avenue for sharing their own personal stories and experiences and what they've experienced in their career, where they've had their successes. Um, and it's really intended um, to champion those those benefits of, of gender balance and, and challenge some different organizational barriers of uh, that may exist. Um, we have... We have that program locally in about uh, 30% of our global locations today, and it ranges from Eastern Europe to uh, Mexico to uh, China. We've got them in a variety of locations around the world, and um, it's a very active organization. We have uh, educational sessions with folks from both inside of Jable, leaders inside of Jable, and external organizations. We have uh, panel discussions on career pro progression. We have uh, that is both specific to Jable and the manufacture, manufacturing industry overall. Um, we have casual get-togethers so people can help build their internal networks and have more informal conversations about things that um, it may interest them. So there's a lot of activity that takes place. And then we have things, uh, weekly blogs where we feature different profiles, different articles that may be of interest to um, people about, about um, diversity of the workforce and um, different uh, activities that have taken place or, or events that have taken place in manufacturing or STEM fields or things of that nature. So it's a very yeah. active organization. I think that's great. One of the things I've always respected about the J. Bill Jewels, and I think my first exposure was almost at the front end of launch or shortly thereafter, had to do with the fact of its inclusiveness within the community. And I had the opportunity to share perspectives on the sort of broad-based manufacturing workforce maybe 2013, 2014. And I love the fact that it was men and women sitting in the room. It wasn't just women. And, you know, that's an understatement in – you know, diversity and inclusion is all-inclusive. Um, so to have strategies in place that help promote that, I think I have such respect for the jewels. Um, as a leader within the company, has this influenced how you engage with your colleagues, with your team, and or with the community? I'm curious. Yeah, absolutely it has. So I myself am a Jable Jewel, um, and I've participated in a number of these different events as well as um, helping to connect some of the, the different folks within our company and mentoring some of those uh, people. As, and then from a community perspective, um, some of the different activities are things that – I'll use an example with some of the STEM activities that we do um, – so we get invited to and participate and sponsor some different types of, of STEM activities and initiatives. And um, in that, the JUULS network is actually a great means for us as well. For me in particular, when I'm 
I'm uh, responsible for some of that activity, um, I can reach through that organization and identify other people within the company pretty quickly to participate in those community events. So we have, you know, the different different engineers that will come and participate and be speakers or um, lead group activities for children in STEM events. We have... Um, we're, we have activities where we do um, Big Brother, Big Sister as well is something where we're, we're quite active, and um, it enables us to uh, really network easier, I guess would be a, the, the way that I would summarize that, um, but also be able to find people who are interested in a, in a, in a short uh, with a short path to finding them, people that are interested in supporting that type of activity for the, the communities. Yeah, and I think what's great about that is in so many circumstances, you know, it creates your own set of internal ambassadors, for lack of a better term. The voice isn't just one person within the company that goes out and does those activities. It's people with real jobs that show up every single day that, Absolutely. that are proud of what they do and want to go share that with others. Yeah, it absolutely does that. And it makes it makes such a, a big difference from what I've seen to have exposure um to the to children really and so that, that next generation of workforce sees um the diversity in the, the people that are in the industry today. Yeah. And I know when I launched at the Manufacturing Institute, the Step Ahead Initiative, and had went out to find stories, for lack of a better description, of women leaders in the industry, they just didn't exist. And they didn't exist, you know, there were a lot around engineering. I respect your engineering background, but there weren't around people that get up and do jobs every single day. So having purposeful intent from a company perspective, I think just it, it builds great brand awareness. <laughs> And it allows people to be proud of what they do every single day, regardless of where they sit. In, and I just, I just love that inclusiveness. I'm a big fan of the jewels. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so you have traveled quite a path um, in, your, in your journey into leadership and technology in the manufacturing space. I'm curious what your experienced self would tell your teenage self today. So that that's an interesting question. Um, when I look back now to when I was a teenager, I would tell myself that um, to speak up more readily, not to need – so one of my inclinations, and I've seen this in, in some of the people I work with as well, one of my inclinations is that I want to have um, a lot of data, a lot of data points um, before – I bring my opinion out, um, particularly when I was younger. Uh, so I felt on very, very solid ground, very, very prepared, which is, which I think is still a, um, I think that's a positive thing. I'm not trying to say it's not a positive thing to do, but at the, when I was younger, I would hold back saying something until I had all of that. And I, I would, in, if I were able to talk to my younger self, I would say, don't do that. Uh, you don't need all of that before you speak up. Um, so you have, you have an opinion, you have a viewpoint and you can state your viewpoint and what's it's ba what it's based on. You don't need all of it before you state your viewpoint. That's very solid guidance because I, I would venture to say with a lot of the women in, in industry, those early career and later career, they are managing to your early days 
of let me make sure I know all the answers before I open up. Um, and part of that is that fear of failure. But I think that's really important guidance because what I heard you say is qualify your viewpoint with what your inputs are. So it's not I know everything. It's based on what I know to be today. Here's my contribution and my voice. Good guidance. Good guidance. So I, I'm known within my show to ask for some level of engagement from our participants. I think it's important the people that tune in have something that they can take away from the show. So as we close out your interview today, what challenge or takeaways would you ask of our listeners? What The challenge I would give to the listeners um, and whether this be in, in personal life or professional life, obviously for what I'm talking about is more of the professional life, but where, where if you look at yourself and what you're doing and, and what is in the world around you, where can you be more agile and, and, and take the risk to, to fail? Not that your goal should, should be to fail, but understanding that that is a, um, one of the outcomes that's possible when you're taking more risk. But where can you be more agile and, and really try to embrace um, rapid change? And, and what would you do about it? So embrace change somewhere in being more agile um, and be prepared for what, what may come out of that, whether it be success or, or failure in that approach. Yeah. Good words of guidance. April, thank you for taking time to share your story with us today on Women in Manufacturing Radio. I am confident that today's discussion can help inspire, more important can, to your parting challenge, can help the listeners think about their agility, think about the potential of failure, and think about the long-term benefits of taking that risk and being more agile. Thank you for your participation today. I appreciate it. Well, thank you for the opportunity. I very much appreciated it. And um, if anyone is interested in looking uh, some more at Jules on our um, on our website, we do have um, some link to those different blogs and, and information that I provided um, about uh, the weekly information on um, things that may be of interest to women and women in manufacturing. Excellent. To our listeners, please engage in the discussion on Twitter, hashtag Women and MFG, and tune in next week for another inspiring story. Thank you for listening to Women and Manufacturing. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.